You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverdi. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome to the latest Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall. Graham, what's up, my man? What's going on, man? It was a big weekend. What'd you do? I mean, I watched another national championship get won by a Gator Sports program. What else is new? Yes, you did. You saw softball advance to Super Regionals, but I you did. saw that number go from 13 to 14. And what that number 14 means, that's the amount of varsity programs at the University of Florida that have now won national championships. The men's tennis team defeated number two Baylor 4-1 to one this weekend to take the program's first national championship and make Coach Brian Shelton the only coach only. in Division I history to win national championships with a men's tennis team and a women's tennis team, which he did back with Georgia Tech. Fantastic to see, Zach. Absolutely. Got to start off the pod by giving a shout-out to Coach Shelton and his team for making history. We previewed it at the end of last week's pod, and and certainly anytime you have that happen, you get your first. Um, it's special, and they had a special guest in the building as Coach Spurrier and uh, Jerry Spurrier were there to watch the Gators win that title. But we're going to start this show after the first segment with an interview with Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, Graham, who wrote a great piece recently on name, image, and likeness, where things stand, how it's kind of now got involved in politics, and, and they're making sure that this thing is going to happen this summer at a federal level so that there's not going to be any discrepancies on a statewide basis because we know that there's already some laws that are set and to go into effect this summer and Florida is certainly one of those five states that are trying to get in in front on the NIL but it looks like based on Ross's story and we'll, and we'll talk to him in the next segment that that things are trending in the direction that they're going to get it done on a national level so that I think athletes everywhere in every single state can take advantage of their name, image, and likeness. We'll talk to him about the impact that it's going to have on the college landscape, on recruiting, on some of the factors that are being considered right now for this to go through. But uh, that's definitely something as we look forward to recruiting, Graham, and things kicking off on June 1st with campus visits taking place. This is something else that we're going to going to be monitoring this summer. So uh, looking forward to having Ross on to get his perspective. He's in Washington. In DC, boots on the ground, getting you know all the information on this. But um, I want to go back to the, the tennis team, Graham, because not only did they win their first title, but just a special moment for the Sheldon family as Coach Sheldon gets to see his boy out there as a freshman win it for the Gators. There's a lot of examples of nepotism. This is not the case whatsoever. This is one of the best stories that I've seen. Going back to when he was a signee at a Buholtz High School here, I, this is a guy that enrolled early at UF, worked his way up, was never given anything. And you look at this very talented roster, crafted out a role for himself where the pressure was on in that situation. And Ben absolutely delivered in front of his dad, in front of his family. It was an incredible moment to see 
I'd be surprised, Zach, if they don't make a movie about it. And and I just need to see someone playing some great cameos. Got to be playing Spurrier and Jerry there <laughs> in the crowd because to do it like that, the program's first national title since the pandemic. I think it was a, a sigh of relief for a lot of people who really have kind of waited for some normalization in sports. Many people saw that Phil Mickelson clip over the weekend. I mean, you look at the amount of things that happened this weekend. It did really kind of feel like sports was back to normal in a sense here. And I, I got to say, I, I kind of felt it a little bit too, man. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the national championship. The Gators now have 42 as a school. Just uh, incredible feats Sheesh. that we've seen here at, at UF. And uh, that certainly wasn't the only news uh, from the weekend. Obviously, we talked about uh, softball and baseball, which we'll get into in the last segment. But some news on the football and recruiting front as the Gators added a transfer once again from the portal. And this is a guy who comes over from an SEC school, and that is Jadarius Perkins, who is a former top five overall recruit from the JUCO ranks and is a guy who was teammates, Graham, with Gators enrollee Dewan Black. So he's certainly a player that this staff is familiar with. He was recruited as a JUCO prospect in the last cycle. He was a guy that had a ton of offers, um, schools like Alabama after him. He was committed at one point to Oregon, but he decided to go to Mizzou, Graham, and he spent this past spring there, uh, went through practice, and then decided to en- enter the transfer portal in late April. The Gators re-offered him on May 10th. And Jules Montanar was part of that recruitment, trying to get him uh, to Gainesville. And Florida was able to beat out Georgia and Texas, which were also some offers that he added recently. But I think this is a really good get for the Gators. One, uh, a guy that they recruited in the last cycle, but also just gives you some depth and and a guy with some experience at the corner spot. Because when you look at it, I mean, because of some of the transfers that they had after spring and just where some guys are working right now in the secondary, you got a guy like Kamar Wilcoxon who's worked at safety in the spring, even though he came in as a corner or at least was rated at, uh, by recruiting services as a corner. At this time, just going off of Wilcoxon's spot in the spring, the Gators only have six cornerbacks. And that's not a lot of depth to have at that position. So to add Perkins to be able to be on this team and, and obviously compete for playing time this fall, uh, this is a nice addition once again from the transfer portal by this Florida staff. This is a huge get, honestly. I, I kind of was a little bit surprised when I was on social media that more people kind of were reacting low-key to this one because this is a guy, not only a position of need, like you said, only six cornerbacks. I mean, this is supposed to be DBU. You, you, if one guy goes down, I don't think they have enough proven depth this season no. behind Kyir Elam. And I know Jason Marshall was highly regarded, but this would be another situation where you're thrusting a five-star freshman in there uh, very, very early before they're ready and having some depth, a guy who can come in here and play. We talk about Juco prospects all the time, and I think that most people forget that this means that they're a little bit more physically developed. They're still going to need to get in that Nick Savage weight program, but this is a huge get for Florida. Anytime you get top five overall prospects from the Juco ranks, I mean, those guys are usually going to be able to come in right away and help you out more than an underclassman. And I think this is a huge get for the Gators. adds to the list of Dan Mullen transfer portal additions that I think have really boosted the team prior to the season. And we know that just the secondary was a sore spot for that Florida defense last year. So any new pieces and personnel that you can add to create competition, to give you some some better options, some more options, that that's going to hopefully, if you're this coaching staff, help improve things on the back end. And you mentioned 
you know, the, the signees and from the JUCO ranks. I mean, Dewan Black was rated in the 24-7 sports composite, the number one overall JUCO recruit in the country, and Perkins was ranked number five overall. So to be able to do that, obviously you want to get top guys as well from the high school ranks, but you mentioned, Graham, from the portal and, and guys that are coming in from other schools and now certainly with the, the junior college guys that they've been able to add. And that was a forte for Dan Mullen, obviously, at Mississippi State. So he's he's got experience in being able to identify guys that can come in at the SEC level and be able to contribute coming in from the JUCO ranks. And, and again, both of these guys, also teammates, I think that probably helps in terms of how they're going to mesh with the locker room and and black is already on campus perkins will be joining him in summer b along with all the remaining signees from the 2021 class we're going to jump to this first break when we come back on the other side we'll be joined by ross dellinger to discuss name image and likeness and all that you need to know about it Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. We are now joined by Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated to discuss his latest piece on NIL, a really in-depth look on where things are at with legislation, all the parties involved, what could be happening this summer, and, and a multitude of other topics. Ross, thanks for joining us today. How's it going? Good, good. How are y'all doing? We're doing great, man. We're doing great. Obviously, um, this has been one of the hot topics, certainly in college sports, uh, certainly last few weeks and and really over the last few months um, as this has played out and, and, and become a, a much bigger thing and more of a reality. Uh, Ross, before we get into your piece that you wrote uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I just want to get your you know general thoughts on name, image and likeness. Like when you first remember this becoming a thing, uh, you know, when you saw schools and, and certainly states talking about the potential of it, and then certainly as we've gotten things in motion here the last year. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy to follow. Uh, and a year and a half of this, I moved to D.C. about two years ago, and it was well-timed on the move because it uh, seems like it's kind of become the, uh, the center of uh, this NIL fight. In, and now we see it, as you mentioned, you know, um, sweeping across the nation um, and, and all these states jumping on, which we, we kind of, a lot of people knew, a lot of people predicted five, seven, 10, 12 months ago that this would happen. And, it, and it's happening. These states, especially the SEC, are trying to one up each other in, in NIL laws. And um, come July 1, they'll all, or several of them at least, will take effect. Um, I think the NCAA's own NIL law by that time will, or NIL. Um, legislation at that time will will pass through and you'll have, you know, for a while until Congress comes up with a bill, you will have state schools and states that have an NIL operating under different uh, rules than those that don't uh, have an NIL law and they'll be operating under the NCAA's own legislation. The, the legislations, um, the legislative proposal from the NCAA isn't that different from some of these state laws, but hmm. Um, it's just the fact that there are differences and um, I just don't know how much of an impact it's going to be in recruiting. I'm, I'm not one of those people who think it's necessarily going to change everything. Um, uh, maybe the rich will get richer kind of thing. Um, but uh, it, it should be interesting to follow nonetheless. Absolutely. Now, before we get into the specifics of that and your story from May 18th, Ross, um, I, I want to talk about, you know, just the, 
I think the process of this, because when it first got introduced and I think just general college football fans heard about it, maybe most liked the idea and felt like, Hey, that's great. The athletes should be getting something for their name, image, and likeness, but to actually put that into motion and make it law and, and how it affects so many other entities. Um, can you just speak to that? And certainly how some of the initial things that were passed at, at a state level kind of got the, the ball rolling. Well, yeah, it's, it's the States that uh, got really all this started, you know, without the States, um, athletes would kept going who knows how many more years without uh being able to, to do what a normal student does which is um earn compensation from their name image and likeness uh, enter into endorsement deals commercials uh, run camps uh, sell uh you know autographs uh things that a normal student can do it would be years for athletes until they would maybe have done them if not for the california state law and then the Florida that followed it that have really just all they've done is push the NCAA into the direction um, it should have been going. Uh, and then the NCAA is in turn pushed Congress in that direction for help. So that's why we're here. We're, we're here because of these state laws and um, certainly they're all a little different, uh, but they're along the same lines. You know, they're going to be a little more open than, in the NCAA's own proposal. Um, they might even be some of them more open for athletes. Like I, when I say open, more athlete friendly um, than, than even Congress. Um, you know, some of them include uh, some interesting provisions that uh, allow athletes to do um, a lot of different things. And then others uh, prohibit some things. Um, and so there will be some differences, but uh, either way, um, most of them are, are pretty similar. The fact that athletes will be able to uh, strike endorsement deals, do commercials, um, get paid for things like autograph sessions and running camps. Ross, I read your story uh, several times, and it seems to kind of fall in line with the theme of what the state legislation is, is that this is intended to really push the NCAA, force their hand here, I don't think you necessarily lay it out here, but based on what you've gathered, how realistic do you think it is that we see something in a similar time frame? I mean, is this something we're going to be talking about at SEC Media Days, the federal legislation? Is this going to be happening this summer? Do you think that that's as realistic of a possibility as many would like to think it's going to be? Or is it something that's going to be delayed by the typical political machine slowing it down as things get debated, pulled in and out of the bill? Yeah, you know, um, I think that uh, the the legislative um, I, I, Congress is slow moving. Okay, we all kind of know that, and the NCA is as well. And I, I think on this issue, there is agreement um, on maybe seventy to eighty percent of the provisions uh, in an NIL bill. Maybe ninety percent. What what is the big hurdles are a congressional bill that um, expands beyond an IL and includes healthcare stuff and mm -hmm. includes lifetime scholarships, um, maybe even revenue sharing. Those things, those are the ones, like everybody pretty much agrees, Republicans and Democrats, on NIL and granting NIL. And I think they, like I said, I think they agree on 80, 90% on NIL. Um, they don't agree on the, the expansive part. Democrats want to expand well beyond NIL. Republicans don't want to expand that much at all. And uh, that is where the hurdles lie. Um, and as I reported 
you know, Roger Wicker, the senator from Mississippi, Republican senator from Mississippi, is kind of leading the Republican charge on this because he is the ranking member of the, the committee that will handle NIL, which is the Senate Commerce Committee. And then Maria Cantwell has kind of brought Wicker and the other side, Booker and Cory Booker and Richard Blumenthal, uh, together to kind of work on a compromise. And she's kind of overseeing some stuff. She's the new chairwoman of the Commerce Committee. And what she says basically goes is her fingerprints will be all on a bill and she'll likely be sponsoring this new legislation that they're working on, this compromised legislation. But the hurdles lie not on NIL, but on expanding beyond NIL, like like I said, like healthcare, lifetime scholarships, um, stuff like that. You talked a little bit about the NCA versus Alston case in your story from May 18th. And, and I just want to get your thoughts on how much you, you believe that's playing a factor in the NCA's inaction when it comes to NIL, not to say that they really are between, I guess, a rock and a hard place, but do you think that that's really kind of playing a huge impact right now? Well, yeah, it, it is the top reason why we, the NCA has not passed legislation while they didn't pass in January or any other month. Um, their attorneys, uh, as, as we've reported uh, the last few weeks, their attorneys have advised them not to um, to pass legislation. And the Alston case isn't about NIL, but it is about amateurism. Um, and a decision from the Supreme Court is potentially could impact the NCA's amateurism. So how it's been explained to me is by the NCAA passing NIL legislation, it is basically weakening its argument um, that it made before the Supreme Court earlier this year, mm. they pro amateurism market. So it's, it's weakening its own argument before the Supreme Court decides um, on a ruling or makes a ruling. So that is essentially what, what the deal is And the Supreme Court should rule probably sometime in June um, is when it's expected. Their session, I think it runs through June. So, it ends like July 1. So they have to rule before then they can pass it on, but no, they can extend it, but nobody expects that. I think they expect a ruling in June. And that's why there will be some kind of, if there's not an emergency D1 council meeting, they'll do it at their normal meeting, which they fancy announced and they will pass it. They expect them to pass NIL legislation and, um, and, you know, athletes will be able to (laughs) spring into action come July 1. And, uh, and sign endorsement deals and such. Interesting. I Just turning back a little bit to NIL here, it looks like what you said, there's agreement on both sides for this to get done, but it still seems like there's some things to be figured out on the federal level. I got to say, this line caught my eye on your story about the Federal Trade Commission enforcing NIL. That's the belief. Um, we all know, we've all made jokes about NCA enforcement uh, <laughs> consistently in college football, but what have you heard about how NIL will be enforced and, and what's going to be done to, to make sure that that's organized when the legislation goes into effect? This is the, uh, probably the biggest area of, of concern is, is uh, enforcing the rules. And um, we know now, I mean, that it's, it's very hard to enforce NCAA rules now. So when you expand them more and more, it's just going to be that much harder. And I think most coaches and administrators you speak to are under the impression that uh, rules are not going to be enforced like they should, because uh, it is very hard. It just is. So how do you stop 
coach, a uh, coach um, from calling his booster who owns a car dealership in town and telling him, Hey, can you uh, sign this five-star prospect uh, to a $20,000 a year deal and put him as your spokesperson? Um, you know, you, you, you can't really enforce that. Uh, if the car dealership wants to do that, they can now legally do that. Um, as many administrators have said to me, it's like above board cheating, so to speak. And that's what it's going to be like um, in, in those programs that have a lot of big boosters and big and boosters who own businesses and such, especially in college towns are, are going to have the advantage probably. And there's not only just going to be the issue, the issue with the NCAA and enforcing potential businesses that are using athletes for endorsements, but it's also the issues between athletes and the schools. I thought you made a, you brought up a really interesting point. Um, you, you talked about, Obviously, how healthcare and, and lifelong scholarships is, is one of the issues right now that's being debated uh, amongst politicians. Another big issue is whether a school can control an athlete's endorsement or commercial opportunities. And when you wrote that, I thought of basically a situation where an athlete plays for a school that's sponsored by Nike, but Adidas wants to sign them to an endorsement deal and what type of contract conflict of interest uh, that could create. How, how do you foresee schools maybe trying to navigate a situation like that or the NCA maybe putting some parameters in place to do that? This is a, a big, one of the big provisions uh, for NIL. When we talk about um, the differences in, in the, the state um, laws and the differences in the NCA's proposal, this is a, a big one. Um, and it's, as you mentioned there, I wrote about it in that story because it's also a big one being on the negotiating table in Congress for a congressional bill. But it is a it is how strict are you? How restrictive are you uh, on what athletes, uh, what businesses athletes can can sign endorsement deals with? Um, it, you know, some I believe some state laws are fully open and it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I believe the NCAA's proposal. Um, let the school decide in, in some cases. Um, and then other state laws are actually more strict, I believe, uh, where, as you mentioned, they have, a, have provisions in, in the NCA and some schools have provisions, I think, that, uh, you know, uh, as a, an athlete cannot sign an endorsement deal with the same company that a school has a deal with. Um, but also an athlete cannot sign a deal with a competitor of a mm. company a school has to deal with. And that's really, um, it's drying up the market there. And it's something that if I had to guess, Democrats are not going to go along with in Congress for that. So that's, that's going to be something that, um, in a congressional bill, I can't imagine that, that being a part of it. it it'll probably be more open, but the NCA's proposal, um, I believe lets the schools decide on some of that in some of that, um, is barred and, and schools are prohibited. You know, the, the big issue here for administrators um, are athletes signing endorsement deals with, you know, the, the same companies in which they employ or have deals with, is that going to take away um, the compensation that they received from the, those businesses? Or is it going to be new money into the market? Um, a lot of people think it's going to be new money. Um, but there are people, especially administrators, that fear that uh, that donation they get to that business they get from the local radio station or local restaurant is going to go away and that local radio station and restaurant uh, are going to partner 
instead with uh, the star quarterback um, yeah. or the star cornerback. Um, so that is a, yeah, it's a big issue. It's a big worry uh, from ADs. And, and speaking of restaurants, and maybe this is, would just be a guess from you, but do you think that schools and or the NCAA uh, would consider, or could they even prohibit athletes doing advertisements uh, for alcohol? I mean, what happens if you get a 21 year old that Budweiser wants to write him a check? Yeah, this is, it's a, yeah, another um, <laughs> argument. Uh, I think the NCAA's proposal uh, has, I believe it stipulates that um, athletes are um, prohibited from, uh, or schools can prohibit athletes from entering endorsement deals with a brand that uh, is not um, online or aligned with the school's values or goes against go. the school's values. And that's a very uh, vague term. And <laughs> uh, it can be argued, well, what exactly the school's values and, well, especially now that sc- now that schools sell alcohol <laughs> at sporting that's, events. That's right. In in the funny one is is and I think this is in one of the congressional bills, I believe, uh, in probably some of the state laws, is that athletes are prohibited from endorsing not just alcohol or drug, but also gambling sites, casinos, mm. and you've got. You've got schools like Colorado, for instance, that have partnered um, with casinos and, and gambling <laughs> uh, sites. So, yeah, there's there's real issues there. Absolutely. And then f- a final thing just on NIL, obviously, just where things are at, it looks like this is going to be a reality at some point in the near future. You did mention, Ross, that you don't feel like it's going to have as major of an impact on recruiting. Why is that? Um, and what type, where do you think the biggest impact will be felt? Yeah, and I say that because just calling around to assistant coaches and administrators, I don't. I get the sense that a lot of players' parents they don't understand exactly, and players themselves too, what's going on here. I mean, there's a lot of there's different things going on. State laws, NCAA proposal, Congress, and I, don't, I think a lot of them are just confused about all this. And I'm not sure one little difference in a provision here or there is going to is going to impact where a player goes. I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, cost of attendance is something that I don't know how involved cost of attendance is in recruiting. Now from the FCS programs who don't offer it, some of them to a group of five, I could totally see cost of attendance being a big recruiting factor, but um, we're talking a, a few dozen, uh, maybe even a hundred dollar difference in cost of attendance. I don't, I don't know how much that's different. And a lot of times, you know, the, this NIL is going to be somewhat similar of a scale. It's, it's not going to be that big of a difference in the, the, uh, the lack of understanding of it all is, is the thing that uh, while it does come up in recruiting now, I, I just don't know how big much of a factor it is going to be. Uh, you know, where do I see it being the biggest issue and factor? Um, you know, I, I think that we talked about, earlier you're you're gonna have an issue with enforcing all of this and it's going to get could get a little ugly and you have agents involved now that can have their their hands on things and you have athletes that are going to want big endorsement deals or being promised big endorsement deals and promised playing time to have these big endorsement deals or need playing time to have these endorsement deals and that's going to be really interesting to watch that part well ross i really appreciate you taking all the time today to talk NIL, but we couldn't let you go 
without getting your thoughts on just how you think the upcoming season is going to shake out, especially in the SEC. And I know you're looking forward to see uh, how it stadiums turn out here because I know that's a huge thing when it comes to how monetary and financials are going to be for these programs moving forward and, and how they make their budget. Well, yeah, I, I it's um, it's certainly important uh, for the bottom line of a school to um, to have a full stadium or at least ca- the capacity enough to sell all the season tickets they can sell. It's it it is it's really important. You guys saw the news last week of the SEC uh, giving an additional twenty three million dollars yeah. in supplemental revenue to to its programs for a reason. The big reason is because they didn't have um, football season ticket sales or not enough uh, last year. So it is, it's, it's so important. Um, it, it looks like we're on the way there um, that we're on the way to having, especially in the sec, hundred percent capacity. Now here's the thing um, in a COVID world, how will attendance, which is already dropping in college football, will it come back? Will it continue to drop? Um, will it stay the same? Uh, that will be really interesting to watch um, because people now, like I said, attendance was already declining. People are realizing they can stay home and watch it uh, and watch it on their big screen TV and the beautiful HD and have a cheaper beverage in their kitchen and go to the bathroom right there. And I have to stand in lines of traffic. And so you, you've seen the decline in attendance over the years. And I can't imagine, uh, and this is something administrators are very concerned about that, you're not going to see that you're going to see attendance come back to even like it was uh, a year, uh, more than a year ago. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, but who knows? Uh, it certainly would be good for colleges if it did and good for probably the economy, but um, it's something to watch. No doubt, man. Well, it's definitely going to be something to watch once this NIL plays out this summer. We'll definitely be following you along for all your updates and uh, just keep kicking butt out there in, in D.C., man. You're a long way from SEC country. I am. I am. But I get down here quite a bit, so it's nice to, to take a visit uh, to the south. And I'm actually down here right now, um, but I'm about to go back up to D.C. So who, who oh, nice. The, uh, yep. And who's a who's a harder interview subject, Coach O or a U.S. Congressman? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, being from down and in, in the South Louisiana area and spending a lot of time there, uh, I can say, unlike a lot of others, that I can understand every word that Coach O is saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, Ross, we appreciate the time, man. Always great to catch up with you and, and follow along with your coverage and uh, keep kicking butt, man. All right, guys. See y'all. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. Appreciate Ross for the time there and uh, some great work that he's doing, Graham, and a lot different than when he was covering LSU back in the day. Yeah, it is. You know, what he had to say about Coach O, you know, most of what I'm sure he has to hear coming out in Congress is much more PR oriented and less honest than even college football coaches. So I think that's a surprising transition. You know, Zach, people also love to, I think, say that politics and sports have to be separate, but it's issues like this that remind us that there are some issues at the forefront. They're going to be decided in D.C. And, and I think it's a good reminder that you're going to experience that everywhere and it's all intertwined. Absolutely. Now we got some other UF sports to get into 
I don't know if we'll, I guess we'll start with softball because this pod, as people hear it throughout the week, is going to be ever changing with the SEC baseball tournament as of now. And Graham and I are recording on Tuesday evening. The Gators have won their first game in the opener in Hoover, uh, defeating Kentucky 4 1. But we want to talk about softball first and, and certainly where this team is at after a really impressive showing in the opening round of the NCAA regional. The Gators are undefeated. They don't give up any runs. They hardly give up any hits and, and a combined uh, three victories of 19 to nothing and just some incredible pitching performances from from Hightower and certainly uh, Chronister as well. You saw her step up on Friday and then Lugo uh, on, on Saturday. So this team, obviously a really tough loss in the championship game for the softball tournament in Hoover and against an Alabama team that they had beaten during the regular season, but they were able to brush that off and and get two wins Graham over a, a team that they had already beaten four times during the regular season I don't care what sport you're in it's hard to beat a team six times in one year the Gators were able to do it yeah it was an impressive weekend certainly for Florida especially doing it here at home Charlotte Eccles, I know that we really haven't mentioned her too much, but you can't throw to her right now. I don't know why teams continue to do it. Hannah Adams seems to get a clutch hit every time Florida needs one. And this team is also, I don't know how you'd quantify this, but they seem to save their best for the seventh inning when when the pressure is on, even if it's a a slim advantage like they had there against USF. You know, they managed to put runs on the board there to solidify, erase any doubt that they're going to win that game. We've talked consistently consistently about how they hadn't lost back-to-back games, hadn't lost an SEC series. They are rolling right now as we head into Super Regionals. This is a team that I don't think anyone wants to face, but the Georgia Bulldogs are going to have to do it. A team that did take one game against the Gators a month ago in Athens, uh, but now Florida has a chance with a three-game series this weekend to get revenge here at home. I'm really looking forward to seeing this one and how Florida can continue their season at, at possibly the expense of an SEC opponent. And you know Hightower is definitely looking forward to this matchup with the Bulldogs after that first game that, that they dropped uh, back on April 3rd, 2-4. Uh, to four. But they made up for it <laughs> because the next two games they took the series, but the win that came the next, it was game two, but it was a Sunday game. Uh, in Athens, the Gators defeated the Dogs. 17 to 1. Embarrassing. The biggest margin of victory that they'd ever had in the rivalry over UGA. So they definitely have their number. And now they get them at home instead of on the road. And and they're coming off a really impressive showing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So uh, encourage everybody to make it out to the ballpark this weekend if you can. Full capacity. Graham, I was in the press box this weekend. No mask. It was great. I mean, obviously, if you're you know not vaccinated, you have can wear your mask. But I mean, it was just cool to see things back to normal again, and 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 to see the ballpark packed like that. I'm with Ross that I'm a little bit hesitant that we're going to see ninety thousand piling into Ben Hill Griffin Stadium that first week of September or whatever. But I I love to see. I hate even using this term small sports, but I love to see a decent size crowd. At, at a regular stadium like that, baseball, softball, you name it, because I really think that they have a huge impact on the games right now in terms of momentum. We talked often throughout the spring about sports that really had limited capacity and how it was different from basketball, coaches being able to hear across the floor 
referees being more quick on the whistle because they can hear more about what's going on. I think that that's also kind of what coaches want, a return to normalcy so we can feed off some of these home crowds, and, and it's good to start seeing that, Zach. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll see how the Gators fare and certainly going to expect more incredible pitching from their staff. I mean, Hightower had her first career no-hitter. She matched her career high in strikeouts. Lugo matched her season high in strikeouts, so they're playing really well, and obviously, Graham, you talked about what they've been doing at the plate, and um, obviously a tough weekend for the Florida baseball team on the road in Fayetteville. We had Jeff on last week to preview the series. The, you know, We knew the Gators had their work cut out for them going into that matchup against number one Arkansas, but they had been playing well on the road recently, and they had gotten certainly some wins over top five teams and some series wins at that, uh, although both of them came in Gainesville. And so to be able to go on the road and get swept by Razorbacks, um, not the way you want to head into the postseason, and, I mean, how do you feel like that affects this team, Graham? They've had an up-and-down year. We, we've talked about that with Jeff last week, but they've also shown the ability to bounce back from losses and low points in their season, and they were playing their best baseball going into Arkansas, and then they have this happen to them. I mean, how do you think that that affects their psyche, or, or does it not really affect anything going into the postseason? Just what are your thoughts? I think one game – may possibly be sitting with Kevin O'Sullivan, and it's got to be that Friday game. Yeah. Because Florida's leading 3-1, to one, and they let the Razorbacks get three runs, rebound runs, which we've talked about all season long. That's this team's folly. That's what they can't seem to do is hang on to a, a lead. And I, I was thinking that, it, okay, that's the opposite of momentum. Your issues are coming back to surface after so much – Promise a pr- very promising six weeks. Let's be honest. You beat Vanderbilt in yeah, a series, five straight series win. You were very impressive, and there was even, a, I think, a consensus in the dugout that this team had kind of just had some poor luck go their way. That you know they hadn't really. It, it's baseball. They hadn't really done anything to really lose those games. They weren't playing poorly. They weren't making huge mistakes. When when you're just losing games because other teams are beating you, I think you can stomach it a little bit better. But when and the you, SEC has been good, and the SEC has been insane. I mean, Florida was dropped from ninth to thirteenth, and they were what the sixth seed in the SEC. I mean, that is incredible. It's the parity right now is is wild. Night in and night out, anyone can beat anyone in the conference, and I think that's why this team was really hoping to avoid having to play on this Tuesday game. If they could have not had to play until Wednesday, secured a top five seed. They wouldn't have had to play uh, this morning game against Kentucky um, where they did actually hold a lead today. So I'm sure that Kevin O'Sullivan can be pretty grateful about that. But the fact that they're not going to have to play six games if they want to win the SEC championship as opposed to five and get that extra day of rest, that's certainly something this team wanted to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that if I was talking to Jeff right now, he would say that it doesn't matter (laughs) because uh, they've had, you know, seasons where they got swept right before they went to tourney play and then they had a deep run in Omaha and made it to the college world series so uh you know I think the one thing that you can take sauce and again if you're a Florida fan and you're looking forward to following this team uh here for the next few weeks is just that to me they've continuously shown the ability to bounce back from whatever adversity hits them whether it's injuries whether it's road woes um you know obviously uh lineup changes to their pitching staff every time they've had something come up they they found a way to kind of shrug it off and and keep plowing forward and we'll see how they do in hoover 
I mentioned the first one that they got in the opener against Kentucky. They'll have a double double elimination matchup next against Mississippi State. They have not played the Bulldogs this season. Another top 10 team that this uh, Florida baseball team gets to face. So we'll see how they fare. Obviously, when we come back um, next week, we'll be talking about how they did in Hoover and probably potentially talking about the Gators hosting a, a, a regional. I, I think that they've maybe done enough now to, to have that happen. Certainly getting the win over Kentucky was going to help. So we'll, we'll follow that next week. And we're going to continue to follow where things stand with Mike White's staff as he looks to make one more addition, Graham, after uh, one has been made this past week and an important one in terms of recruiting. I wasn't expecting this one. I, I didn't necessarily have Eric Pastrana on my radar anymore, but Florida coach Mike White has hired Eric Pastrana, the highly regarded assistant coach out of Oklahoma State, who really has been on the rise for the last several years. If he ended out of FAU, was one of the coming out the same Dusty May, who was the assistant coach at Florida for several years, worked with Mike White at LA Tech. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Someone that White trusts who can vouch for uh, Pastrana, obviously. But this is a guy that just helped the Cowboys sign the consensus number one overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft, Cade Cunningham, the six foot eight. I don't know if you want to call him point forward, point guard. We'll see what he ends up playing in the next level. Either way, he looks amazing, and Pastrana helped land him and helped guide the Cowboys to a 36-29 and 29 record over the past two years with, with Coach Boynton. Uh, I think this is a great hire for Florida. I was looking at Christian Webster. I was looking at Cohen out there at Stanford. I, I thought that Florida had not reached out to Pastrana, but this is what Mike White had talked about. I know that many people love to look at things through a negative lens and looked at the coaching search and wondered, why is it taking so much time? Well, often dominoes need to fall into place. We almost saw one fall into place with Virginia Tech, with Webster. That didn't happen. And now, in Stillwater, a few dominoes fell, and Mike White was able to get a guy that many people didn't think this program could get. And I think it's a huge hire. We'll see who they end up bringing in alongside him, because White has talked about having the elite tandem in Gainesville. So this is a huge hire in my opinion, and we'll see how it has an effect when it comes to recruiting, because that's supposed to be what Pastrana's specialty is. Absolutely. And obviously not the only hire that was made this past week in Florida athletics. Uh, The big shoes that were left to fill by Becky Burley have been filled uh, by Gators athletics director, Scott Strickland. He has hired Tony Amato to take over the Gators soccer program. The head coach from Arizona, uh, comes over to Gainesville after a really successful stint with the Wildcats and really just kind of helping them turn around their program. Uh, you know, when he took it over, they had not been to the postseason uh, since 2005 when he came over there in 2013 and has uh, got them into the NCAA tournament several times uh, since then, including a couple uh, runs uh, recently. And obviously, um, you know, like I said, big shoes to fill in you know, a program that he's going to have to take over and put in place that has been run so long by Becky. But nonetheless, as you know, Graham, like it is with many sports here, all the tools and resources are in place to have success. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's really what Florida is banking on here. Amato, I think, reached heights in Arizona that many people didn't think that that program could reach going to the second round, third round even of the NCAA tournament out there with the Wildcats. And let's remind people out there, This program just 
started construction of a $15 million brand new locker room at Donald R. Disney Stadium, new facilities that are going to be right there. This program thinks that they can get back to doing what they did, what, 23 years ago, competing for a national championship. And I mean, Becky Burley, in my mind, is one of the all-time greats to coach at the University of Florida in any sport. I mean, I can't mince words here. I think that she is an absolute legend, but I think she also would be one of the first people to tell you that the way that the current climate is in collegiate sports made her level of coaching extremely difficult. And I'm glad that she's going to have her energy spent elsewhere where she can contribute more to the lives of young adults and and people around the country because she still has a lot left to give. And this program still thinks they have a lot left to give and they have a new coach leading it now. Well, I don't think we have much left to give, Graham. This is going to do it for today's episode. Really appreciate Ross for joining us and uh, schooling us on name, image, and likeness and kind of one or all the Mm -hmm. inner workings going on there. Because as I mentioned to him, I mean... Most people, when they hear it and they hear the concept, they just like the idea and they support the athletes. But there's so much that goes into it, so much that has to get ironed out over the next few weeks. But uh, it's coming, just like college football recruiting is coming. It is about to return in the month of June. On next week's show, we will preview some of the official visitors that are set to descend on Gainesville, Florida, and uh, check out what this coaching staff and program have to offer. So tune in next week. We'll get you guys up to date on that. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Abelgur.